Hello, welcome back to So What Does Judaism Say About, where we discuss lots of Jewish topics and what the Torah says about them and how they affect our lives. Rabbi Rick Fox here from Moor Penn, and with me as always is the illustrious Rabbi Meir Beer. And uh, today we're going to discuss what does the Torah say about Ayin Hara, the evil eye, and how it may or may not be affecting us. Hi, Rabbi Beer. How are you doing? Fantastic. <laughs> so I think this is an exciting topic. Anybody that's gone on a birthright trip, right, you get that uh, little red bracelet, whatever that is, and then you go to Svat and you buy your, your Hamsa, your Hamsa, which is that little hand-shaped ornament necklace earring. Make sure all the sorority sisters get it the same color, same size, and then you put your Hamsa up on the wall. And apparently whatever this is, is some sort of, I guess, Arabic influence on the Jewish people from being that area that, that is supposed to ward off this evil eye. But what are we warding off? And obviously we don't know how these things work. If they work, that's for another time. But that's where I think we've heard of this from, the evil eye. What exactly is this and how can other people affect us? And uh, let's see what the Torah has to say about it. So if you have the Hamsa necklace, your, statistically speaking, your chances of spontaneously self-combusting are decreased. I, I suppose. Yes. Or of instantly turning into a puddle of jello. Which is which you know, is important. That's what happened to the Spinal Tap's fifth drummer, right? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but in all seriousness, what what is this? So I, I'll back up a step. Let's talk about, before we get into the intricacies of the evil eye. The evil The evil eye. eye. Cursing someone else. When I say cursing, I don't mean foul language. Why are you buttoning about is that what you mean? No. I mean, yes. That's exactly what I don't mean. Why you... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if a person would, instead of blessing another person, curse them, say that terrible things should befall another person. Sorry, I have a beep button on here. Enjoy it. Use it. <laughs> it's getting a little dusty, that button. I think you gotta, <laughs> gotta exercise it a little more. So the, uh, the Sefer HaChinuch, which is a... A book written in the 13th century by an unknown author, which is a compilation, a list of all of the 613 Torah commandments, lists as one of the 613 mitzvahs that one is forbidden to curse his fellow his fellow man. Now, why would I need a separate mitzvah for that? What about the mitzvah of v'yahavta recha kamocha, treat others like yourself, or don't hate other people? Or I can name you five other mitzvahs that this should fall into. So this would be a similar category, and it's kind of like the negative to the positive of loving one's friend, but there's a specific prohibition to curse another person. To not, to not do that. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, what happens when one curses another person? So the Sefer HaChinuch writes, this is the book of Chinuch, the book of education, literally translates as, that God put into every person's ability to speak a certain spiritual power. And if you bless another person, that has an effect on them. If one curses another person, that it has a spiritual effect on them. And it might be mild, it might be a minor effect, but it exists. We all are spiritually connected to each other and we can affect one another. We can give somebody advice with our mouth and we can actually do things to them spiritually. So I love that you're tapping into the concept of relating it to speech. Uh, something, Something that makes us human beings is the fact that we have speech, not just communication. Animals do communicate. But human beings 
uniquely, and the Torah, I believe, says this very, very, very clearly when we get our neshama, when we get our soul, when the, when the when Targum Uncleus, when, when he says that what, what was our soul, what makes us human beings, is that we can speak to each other. I can express the thoughts in my head, right? And, and although there is communication, it's not speech amongst other animals. So we have this beautiful power of speech, and it makes sense. Let's just take a very simple example, right? Birthday party. You say, happy birthday. A person lights up. They feel better about themselves. You know, someone, someone honks at you on the highway and gives you the finger. If you're not prepared, that can have a very strong negative effect on you. But that's only from the inside, how you react. I'm curious if you have something here about how the outside, the person themselves can have that effect, even if you choose to ignore it or something like that. Yeah, so these are all great questions. And actually, this Targum Unkelis, which you're quoting, has Sefer HaChanuch quotes. Oh, very nice. He quotes this as one of the sources that our speech is a very significant, specific human ability. And as a result, in that speech, there are contained spiritual powers. There are a lot of sources for blessing. Just to follow up, just to finish this thought, there is a long-standing custom quoted uh, in hundreds of years in Ashkenazi tradition, in European Jewish tradition, of people blessing their children. So particularly Friday night, it's a custom to my family, or Yaakov Emden, a great halachic authority from the 1700s, uh, writes about this uh, at great length. And particularly parents blessing their children because there's a strong personal connection, right. that blessing is, 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 uh, has, has a certain extra strength to it. Right. The, the Ran, or Benunisim, was a 14th century scholar and writer, writes when one is in proximity to another person, they're blessing because there is that emotional closeness which is enhanced from their physical proximity, then the blessing is magnified. Right. So people have a custom to put their hands on their children's head. And that's a way to give like a certain connection, to feel, you know, their, their, you know, the love in an active way. And by activating that love, so to speak, one can enhance the, uh, the effect of the blessing. It's like a conduit. Right. So like when you, when you raise the emotional connection, you're raising the emotional intimacy you have with another person and therefore can have a stronger effect Positive. Positive effect or unfortunately negative. So now we're seeing that that positive effect, and we all feel that when you get a note from a loved one or you, like we said, the birthday party, but it's much more than that. When you, when you get words of affirmation from someone that, that you care about or whatever it is, and that is then done either via letter or then it's done via telephone or done via in person or then done via you know a hug and they whisper something in your ear, there's no question that that power right. is so enhanced and you can feel that. And so... You're saying something interesting, which is, sounds like if you continue that math, then the negative aspect would, would be how this sort of curse were to take place. Right, or how close the people are, or what kind of harmful relationship they have. Mm. Just to bring out this point a little further, it even, even goes so far as to the laws of prayer. If one is praying for a person who, for instance, is, you know, is not physically well, one is supposed to mention the, the person's name in the prayer. However, if that person is next to you while you're praying for them, you don't have to mention their name. Because it's like unnecessary. They're right there. You you feel that connection to the person. Right. Right. When Moses was praying for his sister, Rafa Nala, he just says, Hashem, please heal her. Because right. she's I guess because she's standing right there. Right. And it's also because when you see the name of a person, that's triggering a certain emotional connection to the person. Mm. Not my sister, you know, God forbid. Or you right. know, or my cousin or whatever it is. Right. But if it's if they're right there, you have that connection anyway, and it's not necessary to, you know, create that little boost by saying their name. Interesting. So getting into this idea of eye and horror, evil eye, the um, Talmud writes in Tractate Sota that 
uh, a person who's a tsariayan, a person who's stingy, people who are, you know, miserly or, or, you know, have this kind of negative way of connecting with other people's wealth, don't look favorably at other people's financial accomplishments, are more likely to give and to be affected by the evil eye. So more the evil eye... to give it and to receive it. They're more likely to give it because of the way they feel, but because that's the type of people they are, they look negatively at other people, they're more susceptible to it as well. Wow. So... What the evil eye is is not some like far out idea. I mean, it might have far out, you know, little roots or, or little branches. But what it is fundamentally is people who have a negative connection to other people are more susceptible to both giving and unfortunately receiving these feelings. So, you know, if you're this miserly type of person who cannot give to other people when you should be giving to them or cannot be happy when other people accomplish things. So you're, you're, you're adding like a certain negativity to your social structure. And that negativity makes you open to other people feeling negative about you. It's like your defenses are down. There's, there's, no, there's no force field of positivity pushing out. There's that vacuum of, of negativity, depression, sadness that allows things to fall in there in a, in a real way. And it's not just psychosomatic. It sounds like it's very real. Right, so the, the spiritual matches whatever mm -hmm. the psychology is because right. the spiritual world is in a certain sense a mirror of the physical world we live in. And if this person in, in his physical society, you know, little social group or society is adding all these negative vibes that both creates negativity and also makes him susceptible to negativity because of the type of person that he is. Right. So that is what the core of Ayan Hara is. So the way to protect yourself, therefore, is not going to be wearing a red string around your wrist or wearing a necklace, but if you're the type of person that's a giver instead of a taker, you're the type of person who adds a positive element to your society, you are, as a result, protected from this. You're not the cause of these feelings. And that seems like it's, it's, it's double-fold or triple-fold because you're protecting yourself because you are putting up those positive vibes. You're not giving off the negativity, and therefore you're not susceptible to it. And then other people also are less likely to want to try and, and uh, speak negatively about you because exactly. they're having positive interactions with right. you. So it, it really is what you are socially that has a certain spiritual dimension to it, which is what the essence of Ayan Har is. So like a really interesting idea is that it is said that descendants of the tribe of Joseph... Uh, the Talmud writes, intracted brachos are not susceptible to the evil eye because culturally, these were a group of people that were givers and not takers. Joseph was this person who saved Egypt from terrible famine. He's this really benevolent, he's a person in power who's mm -hmm. a benevolent ruler mm -hmm. rather than a taker. He's not misusing his power, which is really the ultimate giver in society where you have all this ability to kind of use people, but instead of using them, you actually give to them. And he passed that along to his descendants. Right. So there's this kind of this, this tradition in his family of having that strength which makes them less susceptible to evil eye. It's interesting you're mentioning that because the blessing we give our sons on Friday night is to make them like Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who have that power of positivity and it, blessing. This is, it. This, is, this is the connection. The connection of blessing is there in Ayin Hara. They're really all different facets of the same idea. Wow, beautiful. So we're trying to transmit these ideas to our children, making them not just giving them a personal blessing, but more susceptible to positive vibes by teaching them to give it off. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the, the language used, uh, when we get, this is a, a common language used, is that they should be, you know, people people recite the Hamalach, which is a, a, a verse at the end of the book of Genesis. And in, in this verse, the Jacob blesses uh, Joseph's family. They should be v'yidgu l'rev b'kav They should be increased, in, you know, in the world. And v'yidgu comes from 
the root of the word is dug a fish. So fish are the example of someone, or example of a of a creature that isn't susceptible to the evil eye. Now, why fish? Mm. So, You're asking me. Yeah, do you have, I have some thoughts. All right, share one. So first of all, just just to get this clear, Jacob is blessing his son Joseph and all of his descendants that they should um, be like fish. And that fish we're tapping into is an idea of a certain blessing that they have. So I had a, a couple of ideas. First of all, fish, their eyes are set up kind of funny. They're set up sort of on the opposite sides of their body. They don't have two eyes sort of facing forward, looking around. They're kind of, they're kind of separated, looking out in different places, probably not so focused on looking at other people. And then also their whole world is like hidden under the water. It's like you look down at the water and you can't see anything. It just kind of glistens. And you poke your head down there and there's like a whole, anybody's gone snorkeling. It's like unbelievable. You poke your head down there, you see the world, the fish have the, a whole world that they've kept to themselves that they're not like showing off or not, you know, right. you know, making it in your face. We have this whole coral reef, even though it's beautiful and you should come check it out, but it's not done in a flashy way. Right. And even, so this, this is an idea that our first describes where fish live in a separate, completely separate environment. And if you go down and look at them, like you put on your, you know, your breathing apparatus or whatever. That's not your world. That's not your environment. Right. Fish live in a environment separated from human beings. You can sometimes even see them if you, you know, the water's real clean or whatever. But they're in, they're in an environment we don't live in. So if a person can be successful and be wealthy in an environment that doesn't, you know, overreach where they should be, doesn't go into their friend's environment, they have their little happy, content lives, and you have your content and happy life and my financial success is not a source of pain to you, then I am not infringing on your happiness. Now, if a person wants to live nicely and other people poke their eyes, you know, with the little paparazzi drones into his personal business, one would assume that that's not the fault of that person, even though people are now viewing him. Because he's trying to lead that, like, you know, this is my world and I'm going to try to be as happy as I can in it, and I, but I'm not trying to, you know, kind of, Go beyond the boundaries that I should be in. You mean he's not posting his perfect world on Instagram and Facebook 24 hours a day and letting everybody in and, you know, showing everybody his Maserati? That's not what's happening? I think the descendants of Joseph would, would find that distasteful. You think, <laughs> we don't find the descendants of Joseph on the Instagram. Right. They're not on TikTok these days. Or, you know, renting a Ferrari for 20 minutes and somehow passing it along on their social media mm -hmm. as the car they've just bought. Right. Like on MTV Cribs. <laughs> I know you're not familiar. No. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm just thinking about how how much negativity again is pouring out into the into our world and and our children and our and our and the students of Penn and everybody who have to deal with sort of like the opposite of this idea of the fish, the opposite idea of this, which is everybody poking into each other's lives, almost with the intent to look at me, and then also the intent to look and see and be like, ugh. It's like a double, really double-edged sword over there. It's very, it seems very dangerous. Yeah, and it's really taking your success, and instead of being a way to enhance your internal happiness, it's a way to make your internal no longer the internal, which is a way to make it not a stable way for emotional happiness. Like, if your success, your financial success, is then just a way to demonstrate your superiority to other people's financial, you know, trajectory or whatever it is, then that's not ultimately going to make you really happy. Right. And, and you're also making other people less happy. Like if you like, okay, I, I had this great business deal and I made money. And I like, I like to take my family on vacation. I like to buy my family a nice house. I'd like to, you know, take, get some nice things for myself because I'm going to enjoy it. So you're, you're just going to be happier. 
But at the point where you say, I'm going to buy a nice watch so that all my my friends no longer, you know, will, will you know, kind of be jealous or, or I'll like raise myself above them because I have this like f- this flashy symbol of success that they are going to feel bad about. So you're, you're just using it to ruin your, your internal happiness. Wow. Absolutely. So this is the essence of Ayn Hara. You're creating Ayn Hara. You're creating these negative social vibes, negatively affecting your social influence mm-hmm. and circle, mm-hmm. and making yourself unfortunately susceptible to the evil eye, so to speak, that other people give you now. So what happens when you get this evil eye? What happens when you catch, when this, when this happens to somebody, God forbid, and they get the evil eye? What happens? Their life falls apart? What happens here? So there's no, you know, this is not a... Like if there's no recourse, a, then what's it's, the... It's, it's not a flamethrower. But the idea being is that if your wealth, if your success is something which is causing harm to society, then that wealth is going to be affected. Meaning affected by either making you have a negative experience or affected by being by disappearing or both. Or both or whatever it may be. I don't think there's a precise formula. Are there, are there, are there historical sort of uh, happenings of this where a person said, oh, and now I know why this happened to me. It was because of the evil eye. Are there, are there... Yeah, so you have the, there are examples of Talmud quotes stories of people whose businesses, you know, took a turn for the worse or their, you know, their wine and their wine house, you know, kind of soured. So you have this idea where people's physical assets, when they're, when they're not being used properly, can have a negative effect. It, the, the feelings they're creating will have a negative effect on their money. Now, once again, I don't think that that means necessarily they'll physically lose the money. But if the money isn't, causing happiness or is causing unhappiness to other people, it may cause them unhappiness. Right. You know, now their family, instead of having a nice vacation, might fight over who gets to drive which car. On the vacation. On the vacation or or whatever it may be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a precise formula. You know, especially I don't, conceptually, I don't understand like that at all. So like that at all, it's not like this, you know, tit for tat like thing, but it's, it's more like an idea. You have this success, you have this money, this money is creating harmful vibes in society. This money is going to not now be the same source of happiness for you that it could have been. Now, is there a, is there a difference between Ayan Hara and a curse? Is a curse different? So, yeah, I, I so I don't think the... the I think Ayan Hara is more just like a general concept, whereas a curse of a person would go and specifically wish terrible things to fall on another person. So, once again, as we mentioned before, that's using the power of speech, which is this, like spiritual tool we have one can pray or study Torah with one's mouth and you're like you know you're taking this human ability to harm another person you know it's like walking over to a person spiritually and hitting them with a stick right whereas Ayn Har is more just like these vibes you create these vibes that you know will turn around and and reflect poorly and on you, you and affect you yeah and probably make you more negative, which is really sad. Also, and probably create more more of the the evil eye, and more, it just seems yeah. Like so there's always a compounding effect with a person's behavior. You act good, you know, people around you become better. That makes you better, and unfortunately, yeah. the other way. And psychology well. maps us perfectly, obviously, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. And, and everything that we do because it's it's all tied together. Our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health—they're all sure. all together. Our relationship health, our social health—it's got to be—it's got to be happy. It's, it's got to be full. It's the of, same world with just different, you know. Yeah different aspects of it. So I'll quote one more source on this idea. The Talmud writes, this is in Tractate Nadarim on uh, 39b, that if a person is sick and his 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 or her friend, the actual word we'll discuss in a second, visits him, then that can take off a 60th of the sickness. So 60th is Talmud speak for the minimum amount that is detectable. So meaning to say that if one visits their their friend, then that can reduce the pain that the other person is feeling from their sickness. And the Thomas says, well, that means if you visit them 
60 times it won't be sick at all so the Tomical Sorcerer goes through all sorts of calculations and that's not well, really it could true. be one sixtieth and then a 60th of the next 60th that's exactly and what it, the Tomical writes it'll never get yeah. yeah so if you remember calculus from high school right. you can start you know calculating this all one. I know is there's going to be a lot of asymptotes involved in this calculation <laughs> you can do the math a different time <laughs> But the Talmud says that who has this effect of taking off this 160th, this detectable measure of the sickness? Ben Gilo, which literally means his type of person. Like, you know, the same personality type. So does that mean specifically people with the same personality type have the ability to visit their, to visit other people with the same type when they're sick and remove the sickness from them? So there's a, uh, a really nice thought from Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, who was the one of the deans of the Mir Yeshiva in Europe. Uh, and he writes, this is uh, 1920s, 1930s, he writes that it, it doesn't mean specifically, you know, the same extrovert type personality. But it means is if I have the ability to feel, to be empathetic to you. So I, in a certain way, have some sort of connection with you. If I feel your pain, that literally takes off some of the pain that you're going to feel. If for whatever reason, person A has to feel sick and has to be sick, and person B uses his empathy to feel some of the pain that person A is feeling that will literally make person A better. Now, it doesn't mean he'll be cured because sometimes people just have to be sick, but it'll, it'll diminish his pain in some sort of measurable way, which is quoted by this Talmudic number of a 60th. Mm-hmm. So if, if uh, he writes that if you visit a sick person and you just go there kind of like because it's a photo op, you know, you're like one of these celebrities visiting people at the hospital. Right. He says, you likely aren't fulfilling a mitzvah of Bikr Cholom, of visiting the sick. Because the mitzvah of visiting the sick is to feel the pain of the person who's sick, and by doing that, you alleviate, to some extent, the pain they're going through. Like, you spiritually will remove some of the sickness from them. It doesn't mean they'll get cured, right. but it means to some extent you'll diminish the pain they're going through and the suffering they're going through. Because we are all interconnected, and when we can feel some of that pain, we can literally pull it off of them. So it's this really, it's this really like powerful idea, we bless, we curse, but just other interactions, like visiting somebody who's down, or you know, that emotional putting the hand on the shoulder of a friend, actually has a real effect on someone else. Right, and the more we're able to connect and bring that onto ourselves through empathy, empathy for the good too, which I think is important. Sharing in people's good news, sharing in people's in people's successes and, and what they're doing with their lives, will probably also create this this vibe of of, of increasing that success. And you, and by the way, you will feel better because you get to be happy more often as right. well. And empathizing feels good too, even though, you know, you might feel a little sad, but it, it, it it's helping somebody else, which is such an altruistic good thing to do. It's going to help create these vibes and, and we all will, will go up in that. Sure. And I would venture to say that like, you know, a person is a senior, for instance, and everybody in, in, you know, in that social group are taking their job interviews. And the first three or four people from your group get job offers if you can be happy for them and you can go over to them and actually congratulate them in a way which they see that you're happy, you're creating these little like eye and tove, these good eyes, benevolent eye vibes, which will hopefully cause your chances of getting that successful job interview to go through. So like you're literally helping yourself by creating that society of good feelings because there is a real spiritual effect that will affect you as well. Very cool. We still have to figure out what exactly these hums and necklaces are supposed to do. All right, we'll have to speak to the researchers in the smoky back room about that. Exactly. Maybe we'll have to do a trip to Morocco and uh, find out exactly what's going on there. But until that trip to Morocco, thank you for listening to another episode of So 
What does Judaism say about it?